something just came alive in my own heart and mind, and I couldn't find a verse at the time. I've meditated on it since that, that was last year sometime, and I've meditated on it since, and um, I've realized that basically Christian character, our character, is as a product of coming out of our salvation. It's a product of being declared the righteousness of God in Christ, which gives us access to God himself. There's nothing that transforms our character, our conduct, more than the understanding of grace. Law, if you're a legalistic law sort of Christian, you will outwardly conform, but not inwardly transform. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through His Word, is a transforming agent, and He changes us. But if we step back from that, and we go and have a look at the one faculty that God gave us, according to Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that He gave to each man and woman a measure of faith. Now, you were created with the ability to believe. That's why you can believe the negative. Doubt is a form of belief. It's just in the negative. Every one of you has the ability to believe, to have faith. You have. And that's something that God gave you. Every single human being has the faculty of faith. A lot of preachers preach and try and teach Christians on faith and how to get faith. You've already got faith. And so what you need to do is learn how to activate that faith in a process called believing. Is that okay? So believe God with the faith. Now, Prophet Quibus taught it this way. Faith is God's gift to us. Believing is our gift to Him. So I use the faculty of faith to believe God. Is that all right? And so it's in that process. So when I started to look at it, I started to realize the faith life, and I don't want to get lost in the detail, but I need to say enough to launch off of. Is that okay? And I like you because you like to be taught. Yes. You know, because I'm a teacher as well, so, and I really like teaching. So, so faith becomes central so that the New Testament and our Christian lives basically is, we can refer to it in broad terms in several ways. Number one, it's the spirit versus the law. But another way of referring to it is the faith. And so Paul refers to the faith as the Christian life. So everybody say, the faith. So we are then described as this group of people who are in the faith, we are described as believers. Because we belong to the faith. So Peter says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we received this body of truth from the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the faith. So it's the doctrine, but it's the believing the doctrine that becomes the faith. And so we are believers. Now in the process, because Paul says it, and he, he taught it in that great book of the book of Romans, he said that the just shall live by their faith. Everybody say live. Say, I live by faith. I live by faith. So he also said in another place, we live by faith and not by sight. In another place, he says, what is unseen is the permanent and what is seen is the temporal. And so he picks it up and he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. And he says, this faith that you are living by is faith from first to last. In other words, from alpha to omega, from beginning to end. In other words, you will never get to a place in your Christian walk 
where faith is not essential. It's from first to last. And so the end of our faith, faith, it's not just faith for faith's sake. Faith has got a goal. Faith has got a direction. Faith is taking us somewhere. So Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, that the end, the purpose, the destination, the focus of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Now, faith at first is the salvation of your spirit when we are born again. But then after that, faith's destination is the salvation of your soul. In other words, your mind, your emotions, your psyche. Is that okay? And I believe the moment your soul is saved, your body will enter into full redemption, salvation, and we will be immortal. Okay? So it's important for us to know. Now, it was this particular thing that I was meditating and started to realize, then really faith as this ability to believe God becomes the foundation for Christian character. So I'm going to say it again. Faith then, faith, a living, active, expressed, continuous faith in Jesus Christ then becomes the thing which is transformational in your character. And so I started doing a study, faith and character, faith and character change. I did a study. Somewhere along the line, I came across, across a scientific study. Good. You'll never guess what it was. Faith and character. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. By scientists. Not all of them saved. Yeah. Not all of them saved. And, and I was like, Lord Jesus, here it is. I knew it. It's just wonderful to be right. It's, it's, I really enjoy being right. And so when I started to look at it, they took American college students, including faculty, saved and unsaved, or Christian and non-Christian faculty. They drew research from other universities all around the world, and in particular America, and they came up with a conclusion that faith becomes the foundation for character change. How many would like to hear it? Because it's pretty phenomenal, I tell you. And I was really, really excited by it. And so the results, the conclusion, the results that they came to, I believe are very biblical. Now, I'm looking at a group of people here who love the Word, and you have a reasonable amount of knowledge. So there is not enough time for me to put Scripture verses to absolutely everything. Is that okay? Now, I know that if you're listening, and for those who are on live stream and later you can go and watch the recording, you will be able to take the thing, the broad thing that I'm sharing today, and you will be able to pull verses out and add verses on, and you'll have an amazing understanding and an amazing message to share with others. And so faith has a profound effect on your character, your personality. So I want to just very quickly look at faith, because when they did this research, they brought out verses in the Bible, very well-known verses in the Bible, but they had a fresh look at it. And so the thing that we're talking about is faith. Is that all right? So that's the one thing. And so, of course, John 3.16 is, in their research, they discovered that many of the believers or the Christians or the religious, what they call the religious students, would, the first verse they would quote is John 3.16. And, you know, in the context of the study when I read it, I saw something new in that verse. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes. Okay, there's the focus of our faith is always God or Jesus. 
But it's active faith. It's not passive because it's believing. So that all who believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this thing about John 3.16, whoever believes in him, you know, very often we look at this as a salvation message. But how about if we look at it as a process verse? A process verse. In other words, because he so loved the world and because he gave his son, all of us who believe and continue to believe will never experience any perishing. But be saved. Is that okay? Was that something new for you? And so all of us who continue to believe, you know, forgiveness of sins and, you know, destination heaven is right at the beginning. But how about that verse stands true for the process of our whole lives? Because he loved me so much. And if I continue believing, there will not be perishing in my life of whatever description. And of course, you know, the next verse that he didn't come into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It's amazing how all those evangelists never read the second part and they keep condemning everybody, you know, afterwards. But then, of course, there's another great verse here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And uh, this verse, oh my goodness, this verse. And, you know, Shireen preached a little while ago a really good message on faith. But I felt this morning, I mean, I've gone through, it's a new dawn, new day, new anointing, etc., etc., etc. What is our response? And I just wanted to step back from that and say, come on, let's respond and believe God. And so I want to just show you a couple of things. And of course, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, but I want to read it from the Tyndale translation. It says, faith is being sure, sure of what we hope for. He says, and certain of what we do not see. Best translation still is the King James. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, without going into long teaching on faith, there is a component of faith, a big component of faith. It starts off as hope. Hope progresses to faith. Is that okay? And so if you hope less, you will be faithless. But if you hope full, you can have complete chance of being faithful. Is that okay? And so hope is a major component of faith. So somewhere along the line, hope comes. And of course, the Bible is a book of hope. Over and over again, so many of the New Testament books describe the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That hope goes behind the curtain like an anchor. So we are anchored to Jesus Christ. And because I'm anchored to him like a ship to the bollard on the dock, you know, I have hope. And the hope is of full redemption and full salvation. Okay, so don't want to go into too much of that. But they basically, when they did the study at these colleges, they used this particular verse as their verse of interest. So they said, well, if faith is such a big thing and so central to Christianity, it should have an impact in their lives and should have a direct bearing on their character, their personality. And it should transform them. So let's start on the study, and that's what they did. They built models and all sorts of things. But, you know, there's another verse. So I'm going to just put hope there, you know, as a big thing. So the process, the hope, and then, of course, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And I saw this in a new light uh, yesterday as well. Now, without faith, it is impossible to what? You know, now for a person who's struggling with faith, that verse is a condemning verse. But it's not 
Paul's intention. And it's not certainly not God's intention. That verse, we need to understand it as extremely positive and see it in that light. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For everyone who comes to him must believe, number one, that he is. That he is who he says he is. That he can do what he says he can do. You know, he can do for us what he says he can do for us. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So there's many verses. In other words, that hasn't got anything to do with beating you up. It's got everything to do with God saying, I want, yes, the gift of faith. Please, will you believe? This is what I want to do for you. And when you start to believe and experience the blessing, he's pleased. He's pleased because you're blessed. He's pleased because you're healed. He's pleased because you're prospering. He's pleased because you're at peace. And so there's all these verses. Psalm 35 verse 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them continually say, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. So God's happy when you're blessed. So what God does, he says, because of my character, because of my ability, my power, what I do is I give you great and precious promises. And I back up the promises. And so here it is. Here's me. Here's my power. Here's the promises, you know, that are called blessing. And um, here it is. So let me deposit faith in your heart and in your spirit. Now, will you exercise that and believe me for the promises? And when the promises start coming to fulfillment, it pleases God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you see it in a different light? Woo! Hallelujah. And so it goes over and over again. You know, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in Ephesians, that incredible verses in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 3 to 8, you know, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed in the heaven realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We chose it in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons. In accordance with His pleasure and will. So the moment we start appropriating and we're blessed and we're transformed, God is happy. Okay. So in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so there's all these verses. So the way that they looked at it was like this. Faith, this is how they did it, is holding, and they're not wrong, onto God's promises. Holding onto God's promises. And this was a university. I thought they were quite clever, actually. Yeah. Faith is holding on to God's promises and then, in the process, finding your own fulfilled, your own promises fulfilled. This is what they began to discover scientifically. Is that okay so far? So they basically made this statement, and they say it's extremely true for Christians and those with a Christian orientation. For Christians, having faith in God's promises allows one to find fulfillment in life. This was one of the results. So in the world, secular people, worldly people, put faith in all kinds of things, their bosses, their jobs, their heroes, you know, economies, and this kind of thing. They discovered that that kind of faith doesn't transform. They discovered that it's only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms a personality. They went back to the studies of, for example, Sigmund Freud. 
You know that guy? Sigmund Freud? I mean Freud. And um, he studied the psychological aspects of religion. And, you know, that's why they came up and they're quoted by the communists, you know, it's the opiate of the people and all this kind of thing. But it was a very biased study. And when they started to research more, that they discovered this, and a particular doctor discovered this, that adult perceptions of the character of God are impacted by early experience with parents. And so bringing us back to this nurture thing, all right? I just want to lay a foundation. I need to do it, otherwise you won't understand the study. And they discovered that, and I'm going to just sum it up, and this is what they discovered, that parents who were loving and kind and gracious and bonded with their children, those children grew up with a view of God as kind and gracious and loving and merciful and very forgiving. People that grew up with harsh Christian parents grew up with a completely opposite view of God, not forgiving, judgmental, not kind. And so it formed the basis of their relationship with God, and it had an impact on their faith as they were growing. And it carried over into adulthood. Now, I want to just say this um, very quickly. If you did not have a nice, loving, kind, gracious upbringing, and you grew up seeing, that's okay. You're in the right place. Because, you know, we're preaching the right message. And the message of grace came just in time. And we started to understand the fact that God is good and gracious and kind and loving. And He's not judgmental. He's gracious and He's merciful. It's not the throne of judgment that we approach. It's the throne of mercy, the throne of grace. And we find mercy and we obtain more grace in our time of need. And so you don't have to have had that. It gave you an advantage. But there's enough revelation and there's enough preaching going on for us to understand how God is. Is that okay? There's enough transformational power that transforms. Only, you know, I was in my 30s when God changed my heart and changed my mind, and I started to understand how good and kind and loving God was. And major changes started to take place in my life at that time. And so, you know, what I didn't get in my childhood, I got in my adult life. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the teaching of the Word. Amen. And so, I'm just letting you know what they discovered. However, there's a, a nurturing that takes place in us to transform our nature. We touched on it, and it it struck a chord in my heart. So I don't want to go on too much more on that. Have we got enough background? So the research, once they started to research, and they were going into this thing of faith, and they used Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as the foundational text and interviewing and and this kind of thing, believers and non-believers, you know, faculty, staff, and students, they saw that three things began to emerge. But again, just with some context, that when they looked at it, they looked at the fact of um, faith is necessary in life. Isn't that right? So they came up with, and I don't know why they always use technical terms, maybe because they're clever people. So they came up with a thing called duration of stress. And they saw that in life, everybody, I heard Alex J, the radio happened to be on, and as I was getting out the car, I heard him say something that I've said many times in church, and I was like, maybe I should contact them and just say, message from me to Alex J, awesome. And he goes, be kind to everyone that you know, because everyone you meet is going through a great struggle. There's not a person here that is not experiencing duration of stress. 
But there's three aspects of the duration of stress. And the first one is life events. So that's number one. And they include, you know, the birth of a child, divorce, death, anything that um, requires you to face it and adapt over a short period of time. So they call that life events. Then they talk about chronic strains. Chronic strains is illness, injury, financial shortage, and difficulties over a long period of time. They would classify that you're in a chronic strain. So am I identifying with you? I've put you in somewhere? Okay, then the third is what they call daily hassles and uplifts. And, you know, I don't know why they just didn't say daily ups and downs. You know, daily hassles and uplifts. Where, you know, you've got to study, you've got to go to work, you've got to face, you know, a lot of traffic and things like this. Maybe the boss is not that great. Maybe it's not the job of your dreams or whatever. And um, you, there's, suddenly there's a COVID-19. Now you've got to homeschool kids, you know, and things like this. You have to become a teacher. And so you've got these daily hassles that you have to face. So all of these things together, they say that faith counts and faith is necessary when we're facing these things. We need to be actively believing God. All right, this seems more like a lecture at a university than a sermon, but I promise you it's a sermon. All right. And so they say when in times of trouble, what people turn to determines whether they have faith active or not. And so... Everybody goes through these, and, and they say, of course, and we know it. Some people cannot handle stress. Other people thrive on it. Some people thrive on pressure. Some people thrive on stress. They seem to rise. Others, they get out the kitchen. It's too hot. We can see it by people's reactions. A lot of people, including Christians, will turn to drink, turn to smoking, turn to drugs, turn to whatever, as an escape mechanism to go and hide in that, and that's a reaction rather than turning and responding to the situation in faith. And that's why they said faith is such an important thing in the study. And so, you know, some people thrive under it, thrive on life's difficulties. And they said, what separates the two responses? One is stand up and face it and go on and make a way, and the other one is run and hide. And the thing that separated the responses was in their studies they discovered was the faith that was active and prevalent in the hearts of those people. Everybody say faith. Let's say it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, evidence of things not seen. And when they did this, once they started to look at this active faith in times of a duration of stress, they saw three characteristics start to emerge in the lives of the students. And they detected them. And they started then to focus on those and to study on those. Are you okay? So what they discovered was that people with faith tend to be happier. They tend to deal with life's difficulties better. And they're healthier and more prosperous. That's what they discovered. So they discovered that, in other words, Christians were happier than the unbelievers. In the same circumstances, the same challenges. So the three things, and they say that these are good indicators. So the three things, okay, the three things, can I use the technical term? First thing they discovered was locus of control. So when I was studying it, I thought, well, let me just look it up and get another perspective on it. I copied and pasted, put it in onto Google, and, uh, and because I asked the Holy Spirit, and he said, just check with Google, you'll, you'll find it. And... Uh, <laughs> And I put it in and I hit search and it came up with a whole thing on locus of control 
and it was concerning COVID-19. And they said, in COVID-19, where is your locus of control? Mm. Then I knew I was on the right path. And so the locus of control, the locus of control is the extent you feel in control or out of control in events that influence your life. In other words, broadly speaking, do you make things happy or are you at the mercy of chance? I mean, now this is right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times have I said that? You are not a helpless victim, you know, on the winds of problems that are blowing. No, 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 you are the captain of the ship, yeah. amen, of your ship. And so locus of control, locus just means location of your control. In other words, where is the command center in your life? Where is the command center? And so basically they looked at two things. One was internal and one was external. Okay, now we get to the picture. Woohoo! Everybody say amen. Now I've got to just see if I can draw the picture. And so where is the locus of control? So here is this person. All right, now I've got to try and... Be able to draw it, okay? There's this person over here. And this person has got a, like that. Now I've got to try and copy this other person over here. And this person has a. So there's, there's our two people. Two different yeah. people. One has faith, the other doesn't have faith. Yeah. Okay. This person is, woohoo! Yabba dabba doo. This person over here, basically, his locus of control is internal. What is it? Internal. internal. In other words, there's been a transformation on the inside. This person has faith. Is that okay? This person is an ACF member. Okay? And this person's internal mechanism, and it's because of faith and all of these things that I've said over here, this person is like this. Look what I can do. Would you say amen? This person is, look what I can do. Okay? And facing duration of stresses, facing life, facing COVID, this person is going, woo, look what I can do. Second thing is I can determine my future. This person says, I make things. Now, you've got to understand that what they're looking at is this person has been influenced by the Word. And all these people that have faith, they said they all saw church was essential. The fellowship of the saints was essential. The Word was essential. Is that okay? The Spirit was essential. All these people that had a living act of faith fell into a place where they had an internal locus of control and um, going back to the childhood, one of the things they discovered with children who grew up with an understanding of a good, kind, loving, merciful, forgiving God, they had more of a response when facing difficulties of, okay, I failed, but I'll try again. I'm down now, but I'll get up and I'll do it. And they had that kind of resilience. Is that okay? Is everybody getting this? So another way of saying this is this is ACF members. Okay. Okay, now the other person over here is attitude to life, and when duration of stress comes, the attitude is, why me or why bother? Or why me, Lord? What have I ever done? How many of you have noticed that sometimes we can vacillate between the two? It depends on the duration of stress. There is 
nothing, my future or my situation, nothing. Have you ever been there, maybe temporarily? Why does it always happen to me? If it's going to go wrong, it's going to be me. Well, that's just my luck. It always happens to you know, you know when the microwave breaks and the next day the vacuum cleaner breaks and the next day the, and then the car's tire bursts and why me, Jesus? Have I sinned? <laughs> you know, is there some wickedness in my life? You know, this person over here has an external locus of control. In other words, the problem is always outside of them. In other words, I'm a victim of circumstances. I'm a victim of you know situations. I'm a victim of, you know, whatever, government policy. I'm a victim of, you know, the economy. I'm now a victim of the COVID. You're always a victim. And just the reason changes, you know. And this person over here has this external. This is not ACF. <laughs> this is not ACF members, all right? And so we have an external locus of control. And uh, this person says over here, why? You've already said it. Why does it always, always happen to me? Now, how many of you can see that there's weaknesses with this because you can become independent of the Lord? But there's more strength than weakness with this internal locus. So why me, Lord? I mean, obviously, this is, this is something that's not really good, not really healthy. Is that right? Because you develop a victim mentality. Now, Bev and Helen came up with a, a thing, the martyr mentality. And, uh, you know, every now and then I would afford myself the luxury of being a martyr. You know, I'd go, oh, it's always happened to me. It doesn't ever happen to other pastors and churches. And they used to say to me, you're not a very good martyr. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> they would give me the luxury of whinging for a few minutes. I say, okay, now, move on, move on. You're not a good martyr. You know, I mean, how many of you act like that at home? Well, it's with me. The martyr syndrome at home, you know? And the victim mentality, play the victim. It's always something. It's, it's government or it's economy or it's something, it's something else. But the person with a vital living and active faith says, hey man, if I stand up with the Lord, we can do something about it. I mean, there are verses in the Bible that says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. There are verses like that. That's why I said, fill in the verses. I'm just giving you the study this morning because I felt that it would be helpful. But in the process of being like this, something dynamically and something powerful starts to happen. And the first is, with active faith, your locus of control changes. You move from victim to victor. You suddenly start to stand in the triumphal procession of Christ. You know, everywhere spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God. This is all true. It's biblical. Is that okay? And so you move into a place where, hey, man, you know, Jesus and me, we are a majority. You know, like the, David said, it can happen 10,000 year and 1,000 year, but it will not come near me. Hey, you know, I feel so good today in the Lord. I can run through a troop. I can scale a wall. There will just be bodies spattered everywhere. I'll get over this thing. I'm going to get through it. You can find all the scriptures for people who had faith. In fact, the whole of Hebrews chapter 11, when he starts unpacking the whole thing about faith as a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, he starts to give us biblical character after biblical character by name and how they face situations with faith. Then he goes on to the nameless many who lived in holes, were sworn asunder, you know, whose wives lost their husbands and that kind of thing, who all stood with faith. Come on, let's say amen. 
So we need to move into a place where our faith is active in believing God. Is that all right? Now, my staff are there. They can tell you this. If there's something that I am learning, is this whole thing to activate faith and believe God. And many times I say, right, we're going to do this. The budget doesn't allow. There is no money. But I don't consult the books. I don't consult what's in the bank. I consult a living God. And if He gives me the vision and we go for it, finances will come. Is that okay? So I can be a victim of the bank balance, or I can be the master of the ship and say, well, let's hear what God says. And then we can move over it. So I want you to understand this very bright picture over here is faith-based. And they said further studies are continuing to have a look at this because people with faith have an internal locus of control. And they look at a situation and say, this can change. With God with me, this can change. They take God at His word. Part of this is this, that the scientists said people with an internal locus of control People who are like this have got a higher thought level. They have a higher thought process. The higher thought process is this, is that they are not negative. They are extremely positive about life. And what they see is that if there's apparent failure or apparent dead end, it can change. So, Disaster is not final. Difficulties is not permanent. And they see that the situation can change. So their thought processes operate. So in other words, they have a spiritual mindset. They have a faith mindset, which is the spirit of faith. And they say, okay, well, well, this is going to change. This is not permanent. God can do it. And they will start to react positively. So they tend to be happier. They tend to be more optimistic. They tend to be more at peace, you know, and they found out that they were more hopeful in life, even in the unbelieving people. So the second thing, so their thought processes were different, facing situations, facing difficulties. Their minds started to look for the Word of God and to find verses and say, where's the verse? Let's stand on His Word and let's face the situation. And so they wouldn't run and hide. They wouldn't dig a hole and sit inside. They wouldn't get into a victim mentality. They would move over into a victor mentality. So the second thing is that they discovered that comes out of this. So that's point number one. The second thing is they discovered that people with, and these all sort of come out of the study, they started to realize that faith people are far more optimistic than people without faith. Far more optimistic. How many times did you hear me say that? The substance of things hopeful is biblical optimism. We can be optimistic about the future because we have God. We can be optimistic about the future because we have a book full of promises. We can be optimistic about the future because we have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can be optimistic because we've got example after example after example of personalities, and they were not perfect. They were like you and I, of people who stood up and believed God and did incredible things and faced and overcame incredible odds. And so... All of these biblical characters are optimistic. They had an optimistic view of things. They had an optimistic view of life. You know, when faced with the duration of stress, there was an optimism. 
And come on, our preaching needs to be optimistic. You know, imagine how many of you would leave you encouraged if you got to and go like, oh, well, this COVID-19 thing is terrible. And some of you are probably going to get sick and some of you are probably going to die. And a lot of you are going to be without your jobs and I don't know what we're going to do. But um, hey, let's believe God. You'd go like, there's something seriously wrong with that, Pastor. You know, <laughs> we're not going back there. <laughs> but the Word of God is fiercely optimistic. Amen. Amen. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's biblical optimism. Amen. And then it moves over from wishful thinking to something substantial where it is the same substance as your faith, where your faith becomes a transaction. So you can transact your faith in exchange for the thing believing for. Is that okay? I mean, that's where Prophet Kerbis used to teach faith is like money. Because you can take a certain amount of money and you can go give it to the car dealer. And when he counts the money, it happens to be the same amount as the car you want. Well, I've got the money. You can take the car. So money is the substance of the thing hoped for. So faith then becomes the substance of the thing hoped for. Is that okay? So God says, uh, you know, I've got all these great and precious promises made out in my word. Oh, I see you believing with the faith I gave you. Well, give me the faith in exchange, and here's the promise. And then God says, I'm pleased. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Come on, church. That's a good place to say. So the second thing is that you will be much more optimistic. You know, when you get to a situation, when you get to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army and the Pharaohs following you, or the devil and all his demons is right behind you, you go like, hmm, vaguely familiar. I've been here before. He's delivered me in the past. He'll deliver me again. And there's a biblical optimism. Third thing, third thing. Is everybody ready for the third thing, final thing? The third thing that they noticed that came out of these students with faith was the locus of control was internal, not external. They were not victims. They were victors. Number two, they were fiercely optimistic. In other words, you know, even when there was nothing, they would be going, there has to be a cloud somewhere. Let me find the cloud because then I'll find the silver lining, you know. And the greatest compliment I think Bev ever paid me, she said, John will see a silver lining where there's not even clouds. You know, there's no clouds, but he's looking for the silver lining. Because to me, there has to be a cloud because God said it. Third thing. The third thing is that people of faith had far less struggle with feelings of worthless, self-worthlessness. People of faith experience a transformation by the very fact of believing God and God responding to them and their feelings of self-worth changed. Started to realize I'm someone of significance. God is deeply interested, you know, intimately involved in our lives, loves us so much, and loves to bless us. That has to be transformational on our personalities and characters. Come on, it has to be. It has to be. It doesn't matter what kind of childhood you had, but when our Heavenly Father responds like this, it has transformational power. And so faith becomes the basis for character change and personality change, you know? I used to look down on myself, but I realized that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I realized that I'm God's greatest product because I am created by the Holy Spirit. And I'm recreated into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And if I'm in His image and His likeness and God loves Him, He loves me equally because I look like Him. 
I look like his son. Isn't that right? And so my value system changes, and I cannot feel worthless any longer. I cannot have a low self-esteem because God never created junk. God created perfect. When he finished creation, he looked at everything he created and said, it's, it's good. When he finished creating Adam and Eve, he said, it's very good. And Adam looked at Eve and said, it's very, 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 very good. Amen? And so it's that reflection of his image. So come on. Come on, church. Don't let durations of stress, don't let this COVID-19 thing wear your faith down. We need to be more determined to guard our faith. And Paul said it to Timothy. He was talking about the body of faith. Isn't that right? The gospel, the faith. He said, guard it. More or less, guard it at all costs. He said, guard it the third time. He said, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Guard your faith. Protect your faith. It's a commodity whereby you can please God. In the sense that you receive the blessing and promise of God. And God's pleased is going, you're blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. God is pleased for you to come out of the COVID thing unscratched and saved. God is pleased for you to come out and be fully restored if you lost anything. God is pleased with all of those things. God is pleased. There's not a pride thing in ourselves. We'll go, well, I didn't get the virus. No, thank God for his grace and his mercy. Amen. And God is pleased when we get through the other side. And you've either had it and you've come through or you haven't had it and you've come through. And God is pleased. God is pleased to bless his servants. Amen. And so, you know, the blessing of God maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. And there's no sorrow in the heart of God. There's a sorrow in the heart of God when we not experience the blessing. But he's given us the commodity of faith. And he says, now, will you stand up with that faith? And would you actively believe me? Because in the process of actively believing, transformation takes place inside of us. A locus of control changes. And the next time you face something, you go like, we can do it. I told you the story as I come to a close of the little boy. And uh, teachers overheard him. He loved the Lord. He's a Christian boy at school, and he loved soccer, football. Absolutely loved it. And uh, he lived for God, and he lived for football. And one day, it was an inter-school team, a match. And uh, some of the staff heard him on the sidelines, and the coach definitely heard him. You know, he got a pass, and he was just heading down uh, the wing. And uh, he dribbled the ball through, you know, across, got behind the ball, and he placed a perfect shot into the goal. And uh, the coach was standing close enough because he obviously ran down the line with him going, go, go, go. And the boy scored the goal, and he turned around, and he said, yes, Jesus, did you see that? And there's a a complete change in the person. There's a transformation that takes place. Everybody say, I am am. what I am am. by the grace of God. I am born again. I am a child of God. I am a son of the Most High. I am a brother to Jesus. I am formed in his image and his likeness. I am being transformed by my active faith in his word and in his promises. I am pleasing God by believing him. And so I'm appropriating the promises. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I am therefore not cursed. I am too blessed to be cursed. I am not down. I don't have a low self-esteem. I'm formed in His image and His likeness. I am what I am by the grace of God. I do not have 
a spirit of timidity and fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. I am in His victory parade, spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am made in His image and His likeness according to His pleasure and His will. That means I'm the greatest product of the Holy Spirit's creative ability. I do not suffer with low self-esteem. My self-worth is rooted in Christ. I am worthy of all of His blessings and all of His love. Amen. Amen. Say, I'm being transformed, changed every day because of my active faith in the Lord. Say, my locus of control is internal. I believe I can do everything He says I can do. I believe every promise in the Word. I believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that I am fruitful. I'm being more fruitful. And I will bear much fruit to His glory. In Jesus' name. Woohoo! Amen. I liked in the days when you did wear bumper stickers. You know, in the days when we had metal bumpers. <laughs> now they're plastic. But uh, somebody had this on their bumper sticker. You know, be patient with me. God is not finished with me. So you can add to that. Be patient with me. God is not finished with you either. You know? And so you're a work in progress. So let's hold on to God. And this morning, what I want you to do, the Holy Spirit is never wrong. It's never wrong. And if He influenced the, the, the teaching of this message, it's for a purpose. And um, everyone is facing a great battle. Thanks, Alex J. Everyone you meet is facing. Everyone is in a different duration of stress. Everyone. Everyone. And that's why we need to be kind to everyone that we meet because you don't know what great struggle they're facing. However, faith is not something that creeps up on you and just seizes you. You activate faith. You activate your believing. It's not that you don't have it. It's that you maybe have not exercised it sufficiently, but I don't believe that's true of, of you here in ACF. And so faith is, you know, activated faith where you are actively believing God is completely in your control. You can decide to believe or to disbelieve. One of the things to do is to stop listening to <laughs> disbelieving things, you know, negative reports. And one of the positive things that you need to do is to go to the Word and find the promises and start to read it and then look at the author of those promises and look at his character. I mean, it's God's Word. He said it. And then start to activate your faith and say, God, I choose to believe this. It's amazing to me how many Christians believe more about what's on ENCA or SABC or, you know, Daily Maverick or News 24. They believe everything that they read or the majority of it, you know, takes so much of it because you hear them repeating it. Well, you know, I saw on the news that, you know, you know, if we had the same faith, just the same faith, not even more faith in his word, our lives would look very different. Amen. 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 Let's go and find a promise. Activate your faith and say, I believe. Maybe just walk around all day, every day for this week and just say, I believe his word. I believe. 
I believe. Just let it be a, a mantra, you know, for this week. Let it be a positive confession, rather. Let's rather say that. Let's be a positive confession this week. I believe. I believe. I believe His Word. I believe. I believe. Have your own statement of faith, you know, relative to your duration of stress. I believe, you know, I will get an increase. I believe I will get a raise and promotion. I believe my finances here. I believe I will not get the virus. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe I will be healed. I believe. Amen? I believe I will be strengthened. I believe I will come through this. Come on. Come on, church. Faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Come on. All those who come to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Because with faith, it's the only way to please God. Amen. Amen. So I speak blessing over you. I speak the assistance of the Holy Spirit. That according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, that the Lord releases to you a gift of faith to quicken your faith that was given to you as a gift when you were born as a human being. I declare a release of the gift of faith that will rise up inside of you that will so influence your mind that it will be impossible not to believe. I speak that as a gift, as a fountain of hope that rises up inside of you, that you become pathologically optimistic. That without doubt, when people ask you why you're so positive, you can tell them, I serve a living God. A God who loves me and a God who's interested and a God who cares and a God who's involved in my life. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. So may you be blessed. Have a good week. Love you all. Amen.